You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. What does a judge do? A judge, he or she, presides over the law. It is the essence of law that a person is required to obey it, and then they preside over it, they make a judgment whether somebody obeyed it or not. Why have a law, by the way, if you're not going to enforce it? That's what people are asking. Why do we have border laws and we don't enforce the laws? Or why do we have non-discriminatory laws and we don't enforce the non-discriminatory law? If you have a law, the law was meant to be obeyed. Some people say rules were meant to be broken. Actually, that's not true. Rules were made to be obeyed. If you've ever watched our red crime stories, you'll realize there's a lot going on when it comes to being a judge and jury weighing evidence and testimonies to piece everything together and eventually coming to a hard-fought decision. Pastor Tom shares with us today that we often don't go through the painstaking efforts when it comes to making judgments over others. The only one who can see all the facts is God, which is why He is the only perfect one to sit in the seat of judge. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 4 as he continues his message, Who are you to judge your brother? Love does not rush to judgments about the soul. It does not start saying, you know, I thought there was something wrong with that person. I always did, you know. I just I really thought there was something off about them. Boy, they need prayer. Listen, we all need prayer. We all tend to drift from the Lord. You're not an island. You're not your own spiritual strength. You depend on the Lord like everyone else. When we make too much conclusion from too little information, we void love and we sin. Yes, our words matter. They matter a lot. They cut deep. We learned that back in chapter 3. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, James 3, 5. R. Kent Hughes has this vivid picture of people who've been hurt by the tongue. The world is populated by walking caskets because countless lives have been dissolved and sucked empty by another's words. Criticism spreads and it hurts, it's ugly, it's unloving, and the criticism may itself be more sinful than the shortcoming being criticized. Love does not sit someone down and say, I've noticed these five or ten things wrong with your life and I'm here to correct you about it. No, it's in love, I promise. If it was in love, you would have started a long time ago with one. And you would have worked with them and prayed with them and you would have come to them in gentleness and said, you know, I've also struggled with that. What that is, is someone thinking they're superior, trying to put someone down and elevate themselves. It's pride. It's not love. Make your words understanding when you correct. Make your words gentle. I say that to myself, too, because all the time people are confessing things to me. Make your opinion less. Spend more time gathering the facts. Yeah, but it takes a long time to gather the facts. Yeah, and you're lazy, and the laziness is part of the pride, too, then, right? Takes time to gather the facts. Then you make a conclusion. Listen, the unbelieving world does that in the court cases. They won't come to a decision until they've gathered the facts. How should our thought processes proceed when negative information about someone else comes to our ears? Do I believe it? No. Why not? Because it might not be true. Yeah, but it might be true too. Let me ask you something. If negative information were spread around about you today, would you want your friends and other believers to believe it? Well, there you have it then, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 1 Corinthians 13 says, It hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. 
Worse still, if you verbalize your thoughts, now you're spreading what cannot be proven. And sometimes we spread it this way. You know, I heard this. I wonder if it's true. Do you think it's true? Well, that's either slander or it's an unproven assumption. Neither can help anybody. Neither can be edifying. Christ's law, again, is the law of love. Don't violate it with your judgments. Don't think a church like Hope Bible Church is immune from such critical things. People can feel like they were not properly loved and leave, and they leave the church because they're making a judgment and a criticism against the other people that they did not love. The church did not love them enough. And so now they're leaving because they weren't loved enough. But they're not really loving either, are they? In fact, in some cases, as we've seen through the years, some of the most loved people and cared for people still end up leaving and judging. It can happen here. Sometimes uh, proud people have an eagle eye about what happens way out over there. They can spot it a mile away, as we say. But they can't see what's right there for themselves. They can see unloving, not committed enough, should have done more. Oh, look at that. Oh, my goodness. But not seeing that as they're doing that, they're not really doing anything to love anyone either. Reason number two. As you judge the law, you break the law. That's uh, verse 11, sort of the end of it. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Seems pretty clear. This really takes the last thought and brings out the implication. And we kind of already said it, so I'll be briefer here. A judge is not a doer of the law. What does a judge do? A judge, he or she, presides over the law. It is the essence of law that a person is required to obey it, and then they preside over it, and they make a judgment whether somebody obeyed it or not. Why have a law, by the way, if you're not going to enforce it? That's what people are asking. Why do we have border laws and we don't enforce the laws? Or why do we have non-discriminatory laws and we don't enforce the non-discriminatory law? If you have a law, the law was meant to be obeyed. Some people say rules were meant to be broken. Actually, that's not true. Rules were made to be obeyed. When it comes to God's law, our duty is to do God's law. Remember uh, verse 7, look back at it. Submit, therefore, to God. Obey His law, in other words. Back in chapter 1, prove yourselves doers of the word. But the judge sits in a position above the law, and he pronounces judgment on other people based on the law. The judge is supposed to render a verdict based upon the evidence. That's fine with human law. We're allowed to do that. Even in Israel, God set up judges where they would judge, and he commanded them, judge righteously. What does that mean? Make sure you get the facts. Make sure you're impartial. Make sure that the punishment fits the crime. Do it that way. That's justice. That's allowed with human law. Human civil courts were allowed to have it. But we are not allowed to do that with God's law. In case any of us thought we're allowed to sit in judgment of God's law, we're not. We're not. Even if the world does it. No one can preside over divine law except who? God. You and I should not act like God was wrong for giving his law. Thomas Lee in his commentary says, with a fault-finding attitude, I set myself up as a judge. I neglect God's law, thus declaring that it is a bad law and worthy of being removed. God calls Christians to keep the law, not to sit in judgment on it. When we slander our neighbors, we show our opposition to the law of love and imply that we are exempt from observing it. That's true. The third reason is that we are not qualified to judge. And we kind of started on that as well, didn't we? Look at verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. 
Now you can really see the light getting brighter here from God's word. I think the spotlight is really shining down on the situations. It's exposing what's going on with the critical person. If you always wanted to know, why is it when I'm critical of other people, I don't feel all that good about myself, I have no joy and stuff like that, this will help out with that also because you're not loving them and you can't have God's joy without love. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. It's interesting it's that way, right? Love, joy, peace. Well, I don't have any peace. Why not? Because you don't have any joy. Why don't you have any joy? Because you don't have any love. Love, then joy, then peace. It goes that way, usually. It's wonderful. It's very simple, isn't it? We're too critical, and we're seeing the spotlight on ourselves. I'll give you a couple of quotes here. Back to Dr. Tasker. He that speaks evil of his brother is in fact so lacking in humility that he is behaving as though the divine prerogative of judgment had been assigned to him. Dave Swavely in his book, Who Are You to Judge, writes candidly, if we cannot even judge ourselves accurately, which is, by the way, true, then we ought to be extremely careful about how we judge others. Since you cannot know with certainty what is in your own heart, how could you possibly think you can discern what is in the heart of another? Ouch. Ouch. Judging is a very difficult thing to do, even if you were called upon to do it. You know, you got the title, you have to sit up there, and all of a sudden you're Judge Judy, you know, and you have to make a decision. And you ever watched any of these shows or whatever, and you're trying to pick up every little fact. Oh, she's going to say this about that or that. Put it all down. Oh, let's weigh this against that. It's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Even when it's your job, it's hard to do. Only one is able to judge the human being without ever making a mistake. By the way, that's a comforting thought. If you're a person who feels like you're doing well and has been misunderstood, it's very comforting that God knows, right? However... If you're someone who does poorly, you should know that he's going to get you. He knows what's going on. You won't be able to hide from him. He's very good at what he does. So it's God's law. It's God's morality. You're God's creation, and he's the final judge of everybody. That's why it says in Romans 14, 4, who are you to judge the servant of another? Whose servant is, is the person sitting next to you? Christ's servant. Who's going to judge that servant? Christ is. Not you, not me. To his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. See? Hmm. Romans 14.10. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? He's not allowed to do that. Well, evidently, yes, he is, if it's not in the law of God. There is only one God. There's only one judge. It's God's unique right. In fact, out of all the people in the world, God gave his judgment only to one person. You remember in John 5, he's given all judgment to the Son of God. He gets to do it. Why? Because he's perfect too. He is both the lawgiver and the judge. He gave the law at the beginning. He said, no, 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 Moses gave the law. Where did Moses get it? Moses got it from angels and angels got it from God. It goes back to God. Nehemiah 8.8, 8. many times you'll read this in the Old Testament, it says they read from the book, from the law of God, his law, God's law. Only he is qualified then to render verdicts, back to Tasker, 
Of all the lawgivers in the world, God alone is strong enough and competent enough to detect, convict, and punish all who disregard or disobey his enactments. How infinitely pathetic, how rashly presumptuous, and how utterly futile it is for weak, incompetent man to try to take it upon himself to judge his neighbors. That was a quote. And since God is able to judge rightly, he can punish those who break it. He can reward those who keep it. That's why he goes on and it says he's able to save and God is able to destroy. Save and destroy are the designations of eternal salvation or eternal destruction. It is clear here that God's judgments will result in the eternal abode of the dead. Where they end up will be God's decision. God is able to do both. He's able to do what we can't do. We can't do either. We can't save or destroy. He can save. That's a mighty statement in and of himself. In and of itself, right? God is able to save. He saves his people out of the land of Egypt. He saves people through the cross of Christ, grants them everlasting salvation. By the way, if you're not saved, you can be saved today by simply coming to Christ and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Save me. I want to be saved by your grace, by your forgiveness. Forgive all of my sins, and he will save you. He'll forgive all your sins today. That's how powerful he is, and that's how gracious he is. That's how patient and loving he is with you. We read in Titus 3, 5, God saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. We don't contribute a thing to it, do we? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you quote it with me, for by grace you have been saved, right? Through what? Faith, not through good works. God's also able to destroy Jesus' words in the discourse on discipleship come to mind. Do not fear those who kill the body, which is exactly what we do. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him, fear God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's someone to fear. He is able to save and able to destroy. Psalm 94, 23, God has brought back their wickedness upon them and will destroy them in their evil. The Lord, our God, will destroy them. Whoever the them is in that context, I don't want to be it. These are the two sanctions of divine law, saving and destroying, pronouncing innocence or guilt, executing the criminals, justifying those that are declared innocent. So we should not engage in any of that judging. It's God's prerogative. What are we allowed to do then? What are we allowed to do? We're not allowed to judge. Okay, what are we allowed to do? Here's what we're allowed to do. All we can do is pass on God's judgments, God's verdicts. Here's what God says on the issue. He's the judge. You're going to face him one day. How about this? How about you listen to me now before you have to stand before him? because he's able to save and destroy. I can't do either. I can't possibly judge you. I don't even have that power. But listen to what God says about your behavior. Listen to what God says about what you're doing. You need to know because the judgment day is coming. Let's say someone's caught in adultery, a clear violation of God's law, and the facts are all clear. You and I, in love, have the responsibility to pass on what God thinks about it. What does God think about it? Well, this isn't too hard. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators, that's sex before marriage, and adulterers, that's unfaithfulness to a partner in the bonds of marriage, for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. That means condemn. It's not our judgment, it's God's. We're loving and gracious to warn 
That's not judgmentalism. If we warn them, they have time to what? Repent. And avoid God's judicial act. When someone does not believe in the name of the Lord Jesus and you tell them, look, I want you to believe in Christ. He's the only Savior in the world. He gave himself on the cross, died for your sins. He rose from the dead. And they decide, I'm walking away from this. I don't want Christ. I got another religion. I got another way of doing it. It's right for us to pass on God's verdict about that. What is it? John 3.36. He who believes in the Son of God has everlasting life. He who does not obey the Son. What is it? it doesn't go on to say, we'll find another way to God, does it? It says, he who does not obey the Son of God will not see life. If you want them to see life, you need to warn them. You're not going to see life that other way. But the wrath of God remains on him, to finish the quote. That, again, is why it's so important not to erect your own human standards for judgment. When God has not made the rule, don't make your rule God's rule. If you're going to speak for God, you have to speak his rules and his judgments. Even if you think you're following biblical principle, you have to weigh all the principles and pass on God's thoughts. Let me be more pointed than that. Calling something a sin when God does not call it a sin is sin. Only when we join God in his judgment, by his rules, by his laws, can we ever even claim to speak for him. Can't say less than he says, we shouldn't say more than he said. You can't be more spiritual than God. You can't make up rules that make you more spiritual than God. That's what the Pharisees tried, and they failed. So yes, we can and should speak against clear sin. We must speak against the unrighteousness in our country, whether it's on the left or the right, Democrat, Republican, Independent. If there's sin, they're violating the commandments of God. We have a responsibility to be the conscience of the nation and the voice of God and His Word. We have to do that. We have to speak forth on those issues. If they're movie stars and business tycoons or other famous people and they're out there flaunting something which is really not all that important to God while they're violating things that are important to God, we need to, we need to point out that they're confused and people ought not to listen to them. If they come in here and they're false teachers, we can warn them and warn them by name. Jesus did. Paul did. We can carry out church discipline when it's a clear violation of a law of God and is persistent. God has given the church the right to do that. We're really enacting and carrying out his judgment, not our own. We tell others of the behavior that God frowns upon it. We tell people of the kind of behavior that God will reward. We do that because it's God who is the judge. But we do it always with a desire to see repentance and lead them back to restoration in the spirit of Galatians 6.1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Don't condemn them. Restore them in a spirit of what? Gentleness. There's humility in that. Each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted because you and I could commit the same sin if we're not careful. Or look down at James 5.20 real quickly. We're getting there. It says, he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. As we do that, we must remember the hypocrisy Jesus exposed in the Sermon on the Mount. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? The speck is small. You got that, right? The log is big. It's kind of comical. There's a log in your eye and you can't see it. Or how can you say to your brother, you know what? I'm the expert here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you to get that speck out of your eye. That problem you have in your life, I'll work with you on that. I'll be your spiritual mentor. And then it says... And behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
Those in the business of judging others don't realize just how far from obedience they are. There's so much pride in judging. There's so much blindness generated by pride. So much blindness, you can't even see the major thing wrong in your own life. How willing we are to extend to ourselves patience and grace and kindness. For after all, tomorrow I'll start obeying. I used to be good in that. I'll get good in it again later. I used to have good time of prayer. Maybe I'll get back to it next month. We're so willing to be patient with ourselves. But with others, we're like an 800-pound gorilla that pounces. Boom, 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 boom. Get in shape, sinner. James ends with a penetrating question, kind of where it begins. Who are you who judge your neighbor? Powerful concluding point from a probing question. I think it's meant to ring in our ears. I think it's meant to humble our souls. I think it's meant to quiet our judgments. Who are you? Well, I'll take a stab at answering that question. Compared to God, ignorant, inconsistent, incompetent. Would you agree? Over something that is smaller while they swim in sin, it's ludicrous, their judgments. God is the one that sets it all right one day on Judgment Day. For encouragement, I'll end with this. Proverbs 15.3, some of these verses here. The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. He sees everything. It's amazing. God's amazing, isn't he? 1 Samuel 2.10. By the way, so he sees everything you're going to do this afternoon and tomorrow morning, right? Oh, you ought to sneak into, you know, sneak into the world of, uh, what's that called, cyberspace? Think God can see all that? Yeah, he sees it. 1 Samuel 2.10, those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Wow. Hebrews 10.30, we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. 1 Corinthians 4.5 says, when Christ returns, then he will bring to light the things that are hidden in darkness. A lot of stuff's hidden in darkness now. A lot of criminals get away with things. A lot of bad things done in church the leaders never learn about. But there's coming a day where everything in darkness is going to be brought out into the light. That either excites you or that scares you, <laughs> depending on how you're living. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Matthew 12, 36, I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Ah, listen, there it is. It's coming, the day of judgment. It's drawing near. You can hear it coming. What do we do now? Living with that in my conscience, the first thing that I should be doing with sin in this world, the first thing that ought to be in my conscience is my own sin. Clean that up first. You're not a spiritual police officer to go around pointing out everybody that does something wrong. There is no spiritual gift like that. If you want to be a police officer, police your own soul, police your own words, police your own motives, police your own use of your money, your own family, your own heart, and work hard on that this week. God will reward that, and then you'll be, you'll be better prepared and more humble to help other people. You'll be a better instrument in his hands with that. What I would like to have happen when I die 
and go before the Lord or when I get raptured, is, is to hear him say something similar to the words in Scripture, well done, my good and faithful servant. I won't get there by coming before the Lord and having spent all my time trying to find everybody else that was doing something wrong. That's tiring anyways, by the way. It's not much fun. But I, I do need to clean up my act. I do need to wash my hands. I need to clean my heart, right? So I think if we all focus on that, we'll really be much better for one another, have much more loving community. Pastor Tom's message today has been a convicting one. It's hard to believe how much pride we're employing when we take the role of judge into our own hands. Not only are we sinning against the one we pass judgment on, but we're also judging God's perfect law. It might be time for us to take a moment and evaluate how far we've strayed in our zeal to spread our own personal gospel and get back to the good news. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leek, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Next time, Pastor Tom will be continuing to show us how weak our ability to see correctly actually is. This time, he'll show us how it applies to our planning. If you've got a five or 10 year plan, you might wanna listen to gain some perspective from this passage in James. We may make all sorts of plans, but ultimately, the Lord is the one who decides what tomorrow looks like. To listen again to today's message in the book of James, visit HopeBibleChurch.org and look under the Sermons tab. Pastor Tom will return soon with another in-depth study of God's Word. So join us again right here on Discover Hope.